0: The book of James in the back of your Bible. James chapter 1 starting in verse 1. Here we go. Verse 1 says this, James. Let's stop there. Who is James? Good, okay. We started with brother Jesus, stepbrother, half brother Jesus. What's the related to Jesus? Uh, James would be, as best as we can tell, uh, the uh, the second oldest to Jesus. Um, Jesus was born of Mary and the Holy Spirit, and that's why we would deem James as the half brother of James because James had Joseph as his father and Mary as his mother. Uh, any other children that Jesus? <laughs> wow. Any other siblings that Jesus had? Okay. Yeah. yeah it, there, there's a couple passages in Matthew that speak of him having brothers and even sisters. So you grow up, anybody who's got siblings in here, right? We all, most of us have siblings in here. What's your relationship like with your siblings? Dicey? Good? Sometimes rocky? How would you like to have the savior of the world as your sibling? Can you imagine growing up with Jesus? And again, this is speculation because all we have are a couple references of Jesus's childhood. But can we admit that if we're going to worship an unblemished lamb that Jesus committed no sin while he was on earth? How would you like to have grown up with a guy who committed no sin? I just, I've wondered about that in terms of the dinner table kind of conversation. If Jesus was always catching James doing something, maybe giving him a look. (laughs) I just, I wonder. And here's the kicker, guys. I don't think, in fact, I'm pretty sure James didn't think Jesus was who he claimed to be early on. So it's not that they were growing up and James was like, well, of course you can't, you know, you know, whatever, of course you can run faster than me or whatever it was, you know, because you don't sin, you know, it wasn't like that. You know, of course you're never making mistakes, you're Jesus, you don't sin. I don't think it was like that. And here's why, take your Bibles, in fact, go back to the Gospels, go to, uh, let's go to Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, and let's pick it up in, Uh, you know what, I don't like that one. How about, um, uh, yeah, no, that's fine. Mark chapter 3, look at verse 31. Mark chapter 3, 31, and his mother, Jesus' mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. And a multitude was sitting around Jesus, and they said to him, Jesus, hey, your, your mom and your, your brothers, they're, they're outside looking for you. Jesus answers and says, who are my mother and my brothers? And by looking on those who were sitting around him, he said, behold, to the people, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my mother and my sister and my brother. Now, you know, word got back to James and Mary and the others. How do you think that went over? I, the reason I mentioned this, guys, is that I don't want to lose the human perspective of this because we're going to read a book over the next several months ...written by the half-brother of Jesus. And I just want to kind of paint the picture here of who this guy was. And so he's wrestling with this idea, I think, watching his brother... Turn to John chapter 7. Watching his brother, his half-brother, claim to be the Messiah... ...claim to be God, watching him perform miracle, uh, miracles of healing... ...and then listening to these radical teachings... And all the while, James has to be thinking, I grew up with this guy. This can't be. Like, this isn't someone that, you know, came out of nowhere and just popped into our life and just started preaching. I know this guy. John chapter 7, look at verse 3. John chapter 7, verse 3. Uh, Well, verse two, now the feast of Jews, the feast of booths was at hand and his brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples also may behold your works, which you're doing for no one does anything in secret for he himself seeks to be known publicly. And if you do these things, show yourself to the word, show yourself to the world. See, they were baiting him. His own brothers were saying, listen, why don't you go to the feast knowing that there was going to be violence ahead? Because if you're really Jesus, you don't want to go prove yourself because verse five wraps it up. It says, for not even his brothers were believing in him. Now, take it from both 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 sides of the the coin. How would you like to be Jesus not having your family buy into what you're doing? How would you like to be the guy that's claiming to do things and, and knowing that this is the will of my father? But even your flesh and blood, so to speak, they're not buying it. It goes both ways. It wasn't until, take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It wasn't until later, where James has a radical transformation. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Watch this. Verse 6 says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. And after Jesus appeared, after his resurrection... Paul writes, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of who remained until now, but some have fallen asleep, some have died. And then Jesus appeared to who? To James. And then to all the apostles. Isn't it interesting? We see this several places throughout the New Testament, that James himself is pulled out of the group and set aside in terms of the way things are written. And then, you know, when Peter escaped from prison, it says, and they went to James and the others. And we see James almost being identified even early on as somebody, oops, as somebody special. And so we're dealing with someone who denied, 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 denied. And then after Jesus rose from the grave and appeared, it says he appeared to James. And really, folks, I believe that's when this guy's life just took off. In fact, Josephus, the Jewish theologian, said that he recorded, I believe in 8062, is when James finally ended his life. Do you know how he ended it? He was stoned to death for his belief in his Savior, which happened to be his half-brother. James reached a point in his life where he said, I can't deny what I know to be true, even though I've grown up with him. Even though early on I just couldn't get past the idea that this guy really was Jesus Christ. The Lord, God, the Almighty. I can't get past that. Now I'm willing to die for it. And so they took him out and whatever their, bury, whatever their stoning process was. I know in some parts of the world they will bury you waist high with your arms down so you can't move. And they'll just throw rocks at you till you die. And whether it was that elaborate or they just put him in a corner against a corner and they all took rocks and threw him. One way or the other, he died by being bludgeoned by rocks. And I can just imagine as the rocks were hitting him, one rock after another rock after another rock. It had to have crossed his mind. Do I really believe this? And guys, I think that because of that, we have this wonderful letter written about 15 years before he died in about 80, 44 or so titled the book of james in fact look at the next couple of words in the james chapter one it says james and what does he describe himself as a slave of god, a slave of god. james a bond of god and who else isn't that amazing again not to not to make jesus you know any more human than he is but Would any of us bow down to our brothers that way or our sisters that way? James, in the course of his lifetime, after Jesus rose from the grave and appeared to him, changed his life so much that when he died or before he died, he was willing to put down on paper, I am not only a bondservant of God, but I'm a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. The same guy I grew up with. He is my Lord. Now, guys, if James can say that, Who knew him intimately? What do you think you and I can do who have been bought bought by the price of Christ's blood? If James knew Christ, and if there were anything in Jesus' life where James could say, you know what, I'm not buying it, I know you too well. Remember the time you did or remember the situation where you did or remember that occasion where we were all hanging out and you did. But James, the guy who grew up with Jesus, was able to say, I didn't see any of that to the degree where I'm willing to call this person my Lord, Jesus Christ. And I'm willing to say I am his bond servant. If that guy can say that, I wonder if you and I could say that. James becomes one of the big leaders in the church. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 9 of Galatians, uh, Galatians 2, 9, he's called one of the pillars of the church. James is going to become one of the leaders of the church of Jerusalem. We see this all throughout the book of Acts, and really through Acts 12 through 15. Uh, Paul and James are going to interact for a little while. But people are going to begin to go to this guy for wisdom. They're going to be able to search him out and say, what do you think, James? What's your opinion, James? And thus, when James writes to those who are dispersed, what we find is we find a book. Most people call it the New Testament Proverbs. And so we start this evening, guys, with this premise. The book of James is written with a couple of assumptions. One is he starts past a lot of where maybe Paul would start or maybe even Peter. He assumes that whom I'm talking to know Jesus and you're ready to move past whether I have to prove Jesus is who he is. And so James doesn't mention Jesus a whole lot. Rather, what we have is principle after principle after principle after principle, because what he's assuming is my audience knows Jesus. Jesus. And you're ready now to to take in what we call growing in Jesus. And so this is a book for people who are ready to accept the fact that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, God, how do you want me to live? And if that's where you're at tonight, then this is going to be a wild trip over the next several weeks, if not months. So we're going to start with where James starts, which is... We know Jesus and we're ready to move forward. Okay, And that may be a big assumption here because of the size of this group. But that's where James starts. And I want to honor that where he started. Someone made this quote I thought was very interesting. Speaking of maturing in Christ, they said, If you got arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you got arrested for being a Christian, oh, I don't know, it might be up here. Is the uh, iPad on? There it is. Would, you, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Now, think about that. What's being said here by this unknown author? I arrest Terry for being a Christian. I pull him before the court's. And the court's going to say, as I'm the prosecuting attorney, what are you arresting him for? And I say, for being a Christian. And the judge is going to say, fine, what evidence do you have that he's a Christian? And now I get to go through Terry's life and say, he did this, and he did this, and he did this, and he did this. I saw him praying all the time. I saw him going to church and worshiping. I saw him... uh, Praising God, I saw him speaking God to other people. I saw him giving to his local congregation. I saw him serving. I saw him living out the fruit of the Spirit. And on and on and on and on and on. And finally the judge says, enough. Clearly he's a Christian, lock him up. Do you have enough evidence in your life for me to arrest you for being a Christian? And guys, really, this is what that book's all about. The book is all about helping you and me Understand this is the way god wants you and I to live as christ followers And so for some of us boy, it's going to get a little hairy in here Not because of anything i'm going to say but because the holy spirit is going to be nudging you a little long How are you doing with your tongue? How are you doing with going through trials? How are you doing with favoritism? How are you doing with persevering? And so what my job is over the next several weeks is to lay it out your job is going to be answering to the Holy Spirit. Um, I brought my ball glove with me. So I could catch your comments. So I brought my ball glove with me because... Anybody play baseball in here? Ball players in here? Okay. You know when you buy a new baseball glove? You go to the Dicks or wherever you buy a new ball glove. What's the ball glove like? It's all staff and... Some, in some ways, I think that that's the way our Christian life is. So we come to know Jesus and we're brand new. We're, we're right off the shelf there. We're, but if you've ever played baseball or softball, you know when you grab a glove and it's stiff, you, what can you do with it? So what do you do? What do you do when you get a new glove? Go get your oil. You bathe it. Remember as a kid, you got all excited about oiling your glove. And you'd stuck a softball or baseball in there or grapefruit or whatever you had going for you. And you'd take it and you'd wrap it like this. And you'd put, what would you put around it? It's shoestring or something, tie it up. Anybody ever sleep under it? or You're just, you're working it, right? And then you go out and practice with it. And you throw the ball around with your friends. And before you know it, One might even call this a mature glove right now. Because it's been through a lot. It's weathered. has a little bit of history to it. And I wouldn't trade this glove for anything. I wouldn't go buy a new glove right now. This is my glove. This is the glove I play with. It's an extension of my hand, if you will. I wonder if our Christian life will ever get to the point where it will look a little bit like a mature ball glove. Maybe a little rough around the edges, maybe beat up. But boy, this thing... You don't want to go get a new one. This is the one that I want to use because this is the one that's going to make the catches, make the plays for me. Not that new one. Is your life looking anything like a a, a ball glove? Or are you still right off the shelf? James is going to challenge us over the next several weeks, guys, that the mature faith is the faith worth striving after. It's going to get very practical, practical, um, very hands-on, and that's why I'm excited. So I hope you come back. I hope you're willing to join us for the next several weeks. We're just going to tackle it verse by verse, okay? So I guess maybe an assignment this week. Um, go home and read just the first couple of verses of the, of the book of James. Come back, have a great discussion, okay? Let me pray first. Jesus, you're good to us. We don't deserve half of the blessings you give us, but we, but we get them every day. I know today I got them just by waking up and driving to work and, and uh, some joy in my heart, smile on my face, feeling relatively healthy. I don't deserve any of that, but God, I got it, and so I want to say thank you. For those of us who came out tonight, Father, and got and child care provided for, we praise you for that. We're able to sit in here and talk for a few minutes about you and your word and We don't deserve that, but we have it. And so I pray, Father, that there might be an air of thanksgiving tonight. We have this incredible opportunity this side of heaven to learn as much as we can, and not just to learn it for knowledge's sake. Please, Father, if there's any of us in here that want to boast about our knowledge, may you humble us. But rather, we're learning to prepare for what lies ahead. And God, if we can learn and prepare for what lies ahead and in, in the in the in-between, apply what we're learning? I can't imagine the number of people that will come to know you as a result of Christians who love you and love others. So maybe this week, Father, for some of us in here, you would put in our path somebody that needs to see us living out our faith. And when they do, they will ask, why? And boy, we'll have this wonderful conversation about you the author and perfecter of our faith. Until we meet again, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week.